members of the group and other anti-Trump protesters were seen. You did it. You did it. You now prove it wrong. You did it. Because our government is tearing apart their families, Madam Speaker. Politics are often contentious. Excuse me, you don't get to interrupt me on this time. And we're living in an age of unparalleled polarization and anger. Tear them up. It seems our culture is fraying at the edges, including the church in America. Get a grip and learn how to govern the country. Is that something real that happens? Supporters and opponents of Donald Trump. The gentleman and the gentleman will observe regular order. The gentleman will observe regular order. How can we be used for the kingdom to bring understanding and peace to our nation? How can we learn peace for ourselves? Good morning, Woodland Hills. I'm Greg Boyd, teaching pastor here at Woodland Hills, and it's really a privilege to be able to speak with, with all of you. Uh, we are ambassadors. As I said last week, we're ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven. Our true citizenship is in heaven. And so any land we find ourselves in, we're to see it not as our homeland. Uh, we may be legal citizens here, but our primary citizenship is in the kingdom of heaven. And when you think kingdom of heaven, don't think up there in the ethereal ozone sky, whatever. Think out there in the future. It's the kingdom that, that, that is coming in now. And as we live out this kingdom, and as we invite others in on this kingdom, we're like pulling that reality of the future into the present. Uh, and that's our primary job. And really, any country that you live in, if, if you're an ambassador, it, this would apply equally. Uh, uh, for us Americans, it would be something like, imagine you were an ambassador over there in France. Uh, you're there, you want to do as much good as you can, but your primary job is to represent American interests uh, and not to be overly entangled in the affairs of that country. So also, the Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Timothy that we're to uh, always seek to be uh, pleasing our commanding officer and not to be overly preoccupied with civilian affairs. Always remember that we're on assignment. We have a mission to do. Now, as, as ambassadors, uh, we need to have our, our thumb on the pulse of what's going on in, the, in whatever land we find ourselves. And to try to get some awareness, not just of what events are taking place, but what's going on behind the scenes. Uh, how do the principalities and powers uh, factor into this? We're going to have a, kind of a spiritual focus on this. And uh, it doesn't take much discernment to know that right now we are in, as that video we just showed illustrates, we are in a, a, a divided, polarized, polluted environment. Uh, I'm speaking here uh, to Americans, uh, ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven who are stationed here in America. If you're stationed in a different country and Praise God, we're getting more and more parishioners outside of America, and we love you. Uh, it's an honor to be able to speak into your life. But uh, you apply to your own countries as, as, it, as, it, as it applies. But we here in America are in a, are in a house that is divided, deeply divided. Uh, I don't know if the hostility has been this bad between the opposing sides since the Civil War. And so the question we want to be asking ourselves is, how do we in this polarized environment conduct ourselves as faithful ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven? And then how, how can we help maybe heal uh, the wounds that are causing the divisions in this land? And so today uh, we decided that we want to take a, a time out from our Sermon on the Mount series and spend five weeks talking about this, being faithful ambassadors in the midst of a polarized nation. What does that look like? 
And to be honest with you, you know, I, I shared last week how there's these converging storms. Uh, they're feeding into each other, the racial unrest and COVID and the politics. And it's all kind of coming to gain steam as, as they converge. And some folks are worried about how this might turn into a perfect storm uh, if we have a contested election. Uh, I'm not saying that's the most probable outcome. I pray that it's not that. Um, but I think we have to prepare for it as if it was. Because it could be a perfect storm. We're already kind of in the middle of it. And so I, I just feel this series is so important. In some ways, I feel like this is the time for the, the body of Christ to really get down solid who we are and what we're called to do and how to navigate the situation as we're heading into this potential storm. Things could actually get worse than they are right now. Uh, this morning, I'm going to lay the foundation uh, for the series by just talking about kingdoms. Uh, and what should an, an ambassador's perspective be on the kingdoms of this world? Uh, if you've been at Wilderness Hills Church for any length of time, uh, oh, a year or two, or, or more than that, uh, this will be review. Some of it at least will be review, but it's going to be a really important review because it's the kind of thing that we forget. And so this is an important reminder. For those of you who have never heard me speak about this before, well, some of what I say may shock you. Uh, and I just encourage you to have an open mind, okay? And uh, if you're a Bible believer, and that, that's the premise I'm working on, just be asking the question, is this biblical? It may, it may run counter to everything you've ever thought about at least America, but uh, I encourage you to just ask, is this biblical? Before I get into any of this, though, I, I have a, a couple of preliminary words. One is, I encourage all of us to be praying for our president and for the first lady and for other leaders that God may put on your heart who have contracted uh, the coronavirus. Uh, and I say that because the Bible tells us to pray for our leaders. It doesn't matter what you think about them, what your opinion of them is. Um, you know, when, when, when Paul told people, pray for your, the, those who have authority over you, he was thinking of Caesar, you know. Uh, they weren't nice guys. Still, part of our kingdom responsibility is to pray for them and pray for peace in, in, in the country. So I encourage you to do that. I also need to say one thing about the debate this last week. If you want to call it a debate, I don't know what it was, but... Uh, and so he, he, here's the thing. I am really, really working really hard to try to keep my brain from being siloed. Um, and I think we all should be doing that. I'll be talking a lot more about that next week. But uh, our, our, our brains get siloed and, 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 and our confirmation bias goes on overload and, and we become certain of all of our beliefs. And, and, and what's happening now, this division is caused by these, these co competing silos. And I don't want that to happen to my brain. So I purposely watch the news from different uh, perspectives. MSNBC, then Fox, then CNN, then uh, ABC. Or what, I, I, I diversify that to the point where my wife's getting kind of angry with me. Hi, honey, how are you doing? I should have told you I was going to... Well, she gets a little irritated with me because I'm a little too into it. But I'm, I'm just trying to keep my brain from being siloed. I also have more recently developed uh, several conversations with people who, who call Woodland Hills their home, but they have a, a much more conservative perspective than I do. I mean, I'm telling you, telling you now that I kind of lean on the left of that. Um, and and I, I am entering into these conversations because, A... I'm allowing them to hold me accountable. If they think that I am speaking more out of a silo than out of the Bible, then they have the right to challenge me. And I need that. Um, but also, uh, it's to, to help me try to understand things that I have trouble understanding. Uh, help me see 
your perspective. So after, at, at this debate, and I'll just, I'm just going to be honest with you here. I, I, uh, when the president equivocated on uh, denouncing white supremacy, I was surprised. I, I, it, was a, it was a home run. Ball served up you and could have hit it out of the park. And I don't know why he didn't do that. Um, but what really got my heart pumping and my jaw hit the ground is when he said that uh, he was told to just right now denounce the Proud Boys. It's a white supremacist group. And he said, okay, fine. Proud Boys, stand back and stand by. He didn't even say stand down. Stand, stand back. But it was the stand by that just caught my attention. Stand by. Because as I, I hear it, it sounds like you're saying, you know, wait for further orders. I might need you. So far from denouncing the group, it sounds like he recruited them. That's how I heard it. And so I talked to my conservative friends, and I, I thank God that they're part of Woodland Hills Church and, and that they're willing to have this conversation. But I asked, how, how did that land with you? How did you hear that? Because here's how I heard it. And all three of these folks said that uh, in different ways, and I'm trying to represent their views as, as fairly as I can, but they said that they thought it was a throwaway comment. Trump says a lot of stupid things. All of them said this. Uh, and and uh, one person even said, uh, look at, we know him. He, he, he speaks from his gut, uh, not his brain. And he's, he, this person said, I, I don't think he's smart enough to be sending codes out to people. Um, this person, I think, can still vote for him, but none of these folks seem to like him personally. Um, and so it was a throwaway comment. And then all, all of them uh, discussed how there's a liberal bias in the media and they've been out to paint Trump as a racist since day one. And Trump has numerous times uh, denounced, said he wasn't a racist, and he's getting tired of being asked that question. Um, uh, and, and, and so they, they, they thought that, uh, I'm reading way too much into that statement, uh, stand by. And they think that the media is reading way too much in that statement. I have to just, I, I honestly confess to them, what I'll say to you right now is, is that I can't see it that way. I, I can't, I, I just, and there's a whole context of, of, of past statements that have been made that maybe feed into that. But um, see, it, in some ways it doesn't even matter how I see it because the Proud Boys, they took it as saying, hey, he's recruited us. They made it into a slogan, stand back and stand by. Um, and most people of color, I have to assume all the ones that I know that I've talked to about this, they didn't see it as a throwaway comment. Stand by means there's militia on hold, white supremacist militia on hold. And understandably, that's got some folks really concerned and concerned about their safety in a situation that their safety has already been, for the last couple of years, uh, been, been threatened. And so I bring this up to say this. It, this seems to me to be one of these kind of moments where, you know, it, it's, it, it's, I think, easier for a white person to say, oh, that's a throwaway comment than would be of a person of color because they've got horses in this race. They've got something to lose. And so whatever the president meant by that, there are right now a lot of people who believe he just told the militia to be on hold. And I think this is a moment where white folks, white brothers and sisters in Christ, where we need to say to our, 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 our black and brown brothers and sisters, if the militia's after you, then they're going to be after us because we're in solidarity with you. We're not going to leave you alone on this. Um, now, we can't fight and we can't hate. We can only love, but we will do everything consistent with love to be in there with you. We're using whatever power we might have to rectify the situation. At the very least, lending our collective ouch to your ouch so that you're not alone in that kind of a pain. It's a time for us to, to be in solidarity with that, however this is going to go down. So we are in a house that is terribly divided, folks. Um, 
Next week, I'm going to be exploring uh, uh, more on the kind of the strategy that the powers have, Satan and the principalities of the powers have in dividing us. And we'll look at how they use technology and things like that. To that end, I'm going to give you two assignments. I'm now putting on my Professor Boyd hat. This is for next week. I want you to, number one, uh, read The Righteous Mind by John Haidt, J-A-I-G-H-T, an incredible book on the science of the brain. It will... It opens your eyes to why you feel good about being righteous in your opinion. It's just a marvelous book. It's not a Christian book. It's a science book, but it's, it's, it's so eye-opening. Uh, it's only about, what is it, 500 pages or so. So you shouldn't have any trouble getting it done by next week. Second assignment is, I'm just kidding on that, but I really do encourage you to read that book. Second thing is uh, this documentary called uh, Social Dilemma. Uh, Shelly and I just recently watched it, and I'm telling you, I, I don't know. In this season in which we find ourselves— I don't know if you could ever in your life watch a more important documentary than this. Um, Just watch it. Uh, And if you watch it from a perspective of spiritual warfare, knowing about the powers, this whole documentary is an expose of how the powers are operating. It's, it's, It's really ingenious. So that wasn't their intent, at least not explicitly. All right. So uh, I want to talk about the kingdoms of this world and, and to have a, a, a accurate citizen of heaven, kingdom ambassador perspective on the kingdoms of this world. We've got to go back to the beginning. Um, God's dream for humanity was ultimately that out of the fullness of the love that we receive from our Abba Father, out of the fullness of that love, we would love each other and we would then take care of the earth and the animal kingdom. That's our first mandate in the Bible, Genesis 1, 26 through 28. Uh, have dominion over the earth and the animal kingdom. But remember, in having dominion, we're supposed to have dominion the way God has do- dominion. Uh, God has dominion in a loving, merciful way. And that's, how we're to, that's the attitude we're supposed to have to the earth and the animal kingdom. So God's dream was for humanity to be sort of a family, a family under one father. Uh, and, and we're a family of lookalikes. We all bear the image of God. That, that's the title given to us. And the fact that we all have the image of God means that we're all equal. In fact, in the, understood in the ancient Near East, the image of God was only applied to the king. So it's, a, it, it's a, a badge of honor, it's dignity, your royalty, which means our treatment of other people, our fellow human beings, has always got to be as though they're royalty, because they in fact are. But notice in the, in the Genesis narrative that while we're to rule the earth and the animal kingdom, there's no spot for us to rule one another. And how could we? Because we're all royalty. Uh, there was no, we have power over the earth and the animal kingdom, but in God's dream, original dream for humanity, no human being was going to have power over, the, uh, over another. Not in any kind of coercive, enforced way. There's room for, uh, for leadership as a service to others. Uh, you serve others in a certain way that they end up following you. That's servant leadership. Uh, that would happen without the fall, but there wouldn't be any power over. Because I'm in this position, I have power over you. It wasn't part of God's dream. So where did this power over come from? This idea of humans having power over others. To understand that, you've got to go back. Notice the two trees that were in the middle of the garden in Genesis 2 and 3. There's a tree of life. And then there's this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The tree of life, as I understand it, is God's promise of provision to give us fullness of life. And it's all that fullness that we're to be doing everything that we do. But there's also a prohibition there. That's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what basically I think God is saying is, look, be like me in my image in terms of how you love, but don't try to be like me in terms of what you think you know. 
Uh, that, that phrase, knowledge of good and evil, that was spoken, that was ascribed to kings when they made decrees. Because the king got to determine who, good and evil. Uh, and the king knows good and evil. Well, to eat from this tree is to think that you're a king that can decide uh, good and evil. You get to define it. And we always define it in a self-serving way. And so what, what happens is as we eat of this tree, of the, thinking that we're kings that can pronounce this judgment, we become judges. So the accuser has made us little accusers who now bear the image of the accuser instead of the image of God. We're supposed to be in the image of God in terms of how we love and relate, but not try to be like in the image of God in terms of what we think we know. So we become accusers. And you see this right, right, right from the beginning. As soon as Adam and Eve eat of the tree, they start judging. They judge God. That's why they hide from him. He's a mean, nasty God. And, and then Adam blames Eve and then also blames God again. The woman that you gave me, she's the one who caused me to do this. And see, in doing that, Adam's saying, you're less than. Saying to Eve, you're less than. Because you're less worthy than me because you bear the blame, not me. And then Eve blames the serpent. And see, we become accusers, judges. And when we act out that judgment, it looks like power over others. The judgment starts with a you are less than me. And then, as it's acted out, it's I gain power over you. Having power over is just what judgment looks like when it's acted out. With the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it looks like when it's acted out. You first see this uh, right in the the Genesis narrative. As God is is talking to Eve about the woeful effects of this rebellion that's going on, the aid of the tree. And so God's describing how bad things are going to be now. And among the bad things, God says this in Genesis 3.16. He says to the woman, your desire will be for, towards your husband, but he will rule over you. Uh, traditionally, that's been taken to mean, uh, that it's, traditionally, it's all men doing the interpreting here. Almost all men. And, and uh, these male exegetes come to the conclusion that, that what that means is that the woman desires the man sexually. Uh, or desires to serve the man. But the man's supposed to be the head of the household. And that's God's prescription for marriage. In point of fact, The passage isn't describing how God wants marriages to be. He's describing how marriages are in fact going to be now that you've eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now that you're you're little accusers. And that word desire there doesn't mean sexually desire. Uh, That's reading into the text by males doing theology who up until the Reformation, uh, most of them weren't married. Never mind, I'm not going to go down that rabbit trail. But our state of being can influence how we interpret the scripture. Always be suspicious when the interpretation of a, a scripture is serving somebody's own interest. Enough said on that. The word desire actually means to manipulate. It's, it's used that very same way in, in the, the next chapter. Sin desires Cain, to control Cain, to manipulate Cain. It's not a nice word. It's manipulation. And the word for Lord over has the connotation of to subdue. And so what God's saying is you're going to be trying to manipulate him, but he's going to end up lording over you. You're going to be trying to get your way, but he's going to end up probably getting his way most of the time just due to superior physical strength. And, and historically, that's how it's been at least since around the year 10,000 B.C. so far as archaeology can tell us anything. Women have been less than. Down a notch. So what God is saying here is my dream for this one flesh relationship, this co-equal partnership, uh, carrying out the kingdom uh, out of a fullness of love, that, that beautiful arrangement where you'd reflect my image and uh, how you relate to each other and how you submit to one another, that has now been blown up and now we've got a power struggle, a power over struggle. And sadly, that's historically been a pretty good description of uh, 
marriages ever since. So, so it, this power over dynamic, uh, it can occur between individuals, but it can also occur between groups. Um, and when, when, when folks begin to live in cities, uh, it, it enhanced that power over dynamics simply because the more people you have to contain, as it were, the more laws you need and you need to enforce those laws, the more they need governing. And this is the origin of governments. It's interesting that in, in, in uh, uh, Genesis 4, uh, Cain had just killed Abel, and then all the people wanted to kill Cain, so God had to put a mark on him that says you're not allowed to kill him. And there's so much we could unpack with that, but we don't have time. But then it says in chapter 4 uh, that Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and built a city. It was the first city that was ever built. He went out from the presence of the Lord. Now, it's kind of strange because they were already outside the Garden of Eden. And it's not quite clear all well that the author intended by that, but it is reinforcing this idea that this city is somehow outside the presence of God. It's not in line with the, the, the will of God because it involves, it requires a power over structure to it. Had human beings stayed faithful with God, we wouldn't need that kind of power over structure. But uh, now that we're in this fallen condition, well, if you're going to have a city, you're going to have to. And so it's... Uh, the origin of the city, you see, is the premise on a mistrust of God. It, it's uh, being outside the presence of God. And then those the cities then grow and they eventually become kingdoms. A kingdom is any place where it's the dome over which someone is king. And so you end up having now these kings of the kingdom and their court having tremendous wealth, tremendous power, raising up tremendous armies. And, and the agreement of all these kingdoms is that uh, the king and the army will protect the people if the people will pledge all their loyalty to the king and his armies. That's how it runs. So God calls out Israel into all these power over kingdoms here, right? They're all, and they're growing bigger and bigger and mightier and mightier. God calls up this little nation of Israel out of Egypt and puts them on this property. In the land of Canaan, real choice property there. A lot of trade routes ran right through there. It's probably why God wanted them there. Because God's purpose was to use them uh, to sort of evangelize the world, uh, to call back these other nations and hopefully reunite them under Yahweh's lordship. And so you find all these passages in the Old Testament where they celebrate the time when all the nations of the earth will gather around Mount Zion and worship Yahweh as Lord. Uh, so th th there, were, there were chosen people because they were chosen for a vocation. They're supposed to be a royal priesthood uh, to, to begin to teach the other nations uh, about how God really wants to run things. And it's not in a power over kind of way. So to, as part of that message, uh, God didn't want Israel to have a king. Uh, as part of that message, God wanted the Israelites to put on display what it looks like when there's a people who don't put their trust in a power over dynamic, don't put their trust in a king and his armies. They're supposed to model that. And so for the first several hundred years of Israel's existence, they didn't have a king. They had judges, which was more of a servant leadership kind of thing, people who would resolve disputes here and there. But God alone wanted to be the king of Israel in order to eventually become king of the world, of the whole world. The one king that people look up to. Now the Israelites, I mean, this was a hard thing for them. Surrounded by all these nations that are threatening them, these powerful nations who could come in and ransack them anytime. We're supposed to just trust God to be king? We're defenseless here. Israel didn't even have an official army. Uh, how are we supposed to stand up to these mighty nations? But Yahweh would always promise them, if you'll trust me, and if you'll walk in my ways, I'll fight your battles for you. You won't ever have to lift, off, uh, lift up a sword. Um, 
I'll drive your enemies out before you. And there's a lot of ways that you can do that. In fact, we find examples of this uh, occasionally in the Bible. Read 2 Kings 6. That's how God would like to fight battles, but I can't get into that right now. And so whenever we see the Israelites picking up a sword to accomplish what they think is God's purpose, you have to know that that already shows that they're not trusting God. Because the Lord told them, if you'll trust me, you won't have to use a sword. Any more than you had to use a sword getting out of Egypt, well, that's how all your battles are supposed to be fought. I'll do it, not you. But uh, it was hard. The idea of being raided by one of these nations, uh, it, it was brutal. Raids, well, we see what the Israelites did when they raided Canaan. That's what happens to people in the ancient world. The men are all certainly killed, and often the boys as well, and the women's flight, well, that, that's usually become sex slaves or some other kind of servant. It, so you understand why these people were afraid. And there came a point where they could no longer uh, do it. They, they started clamoring for a king. So they went to Samuel, who was the prophet at the time, and, uh, and, and, and said this, we, have, we are determined to have a king over us so that we may be like the other nations and that our king may govern us and go out before us and fight our battles. We want some earthly security here. Samuel went back to Yahweh and reported what they had said and listen to how the Lord responds. He says, Samuel, listen to the voice of the people and all that they say to you. Go ahead and give them their wish. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. I want us to note here that the very process of putting your trust in the human king is a process of not putting your trust in God as king. So the very existence of government, which requires trust in king and in armies and earthly security, the very existence of such governments, these power over structures, is a sign of our estrangement from God. It's a sign of rebellion. And I know on all of our coins we have in God we trust, and I know the people who printed those mean well, uh, but, but if, if in God we trusted, we wouldn't be having the power over structure that we have had here, and certainly the power over stuff that we did to the natives uh, when, when the Europeans arrived here and to Africans as we got free labor. Um, we wouldn't have any of that had we were actually really trusting God. Now, this isn't to say that all the governments are equally bad, I mean, they're all power over, and to that degree are not in line with God's dream for humanity, but some wield power over masses better than others. <laughs> they actually care about the people they wield power over, and some even let you choose who's going to have power over you, at least to some degree, at least that's what we hope. Uh, so they're not all equally bad, but it is to say that insofar as they're premised on mistrust of God, they're, out of, they're outside of God's dream. And so far as they involve judging others as less than, they're outside of God's ideal for humanity. All of them are based on this assumption that we broken people can fix things and get security for ourselves if only we acquire the right, the right king, if only we get the right system, if only we have the right policies, if only more people who believe like I believe will run the world, well, then we'll have peace. As ambassadors in this foreign country, uh, we, we, we already are supposed to have a, a kind of a, a, a distant relationship, not putting our trust in the government in which we find ourselves uh, as missionaries. But now we can see, I hope we can see that this is all premised on mistrusting God, whereas our call is to completely trust in God. And so to that degree, we should have even less, put less hope in that. But there's more. But wait, folks, there's more. Not only are, are these governments and all power over structures uh, premised on mistrust of God, but because they're premised on mistrusting God, well, the Bible tells us that they are under the strong polluting influence of the principalities and powers. 
the chief one being Satan. For example, uh, in, in, in Luke, we read this, and this is part of the temptation narrative. Uh, the devil's tempting Jesus. He says, then the devil led him up and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. Everybody say all the kingdoms. All right. That presumably means all the kingdoms. So it presumably includes America. And the devil said to him, to you I will give their glory and all this authority, for it has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I please. Listen to those words. What's amazing is that Jesus doesn't dispute him. In fact, everything that's, that the devil tempts Jesus with is technically true. It's just that he wants to use it for a non, an ungodly reason. Um, but Jesus doesn't say, oh, come in, you're exaggerating. Get out of here. You don't want all the authority. No, he, 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 he grants that he's got all the authority, um, but he's not going to, and what Satan's offering him is, hey, you can be king of the world, but you got to do it my way, my power over way. And Jesus is essentially saying, well, I want all the kingdoms of the world, and I'm going to get all the kingdoms of the world, but not in a power over way. I'm going to do it in a power under way. Rather than sacrificing lives to stay in, on top, I'm going to sacrifice myself uh, for, the, for the good of, of all humanity. But it, he assumes that Satan's got that kind of power. Now, I don't know how to integrate that with democracy because I thought that we, we get to choose who's in power over us. How does that reconcile with this passage? I don't know. Um, I mean, you talk about meddling in our election. According to this passage, this is serious meddling. Forget the Chinese and the Russians and anyone else who's trying to hack our system. According to this passage, the enemy is already on the inside of the system. <laughs> it's too late. It's been hacked. So as ambassadors... We've got to remain aware that all these power over structures, even the very, 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 very best ones, have a strong polluting force in them. At the very least, this passage has got to mean that. There's a force that's operating on these systems, this power over system, to enhance that judgment, uh, to, to privilege some over others, uh, to create hostility between different people groups, to, to push them further to, in the direction of dehumanization of other people and the oppression of other people, and the marginalization of other people, and the denial of the Imago Dei in all the people. There's powers that are, are, are working in that direction. Everything the New Testament says about Satan and the powers confirms this perspective. Uh, for example, uh, it's a good little snippet here, uh, and prepare to get deluged with a lot of scripture in the next four minutes. Jesus three times calls Satan the archon of this world. The archon of this world, the word archon there, uh, it's usually translated as ruler or prince. Um, but uh, it, it was the title that was given to it, the person who was boss in any given region. Doesn't mean that you're boss of, of, of everything, but in this area, you say, but the way you ask for who's boss is who's the archon. And Jesus tells us that Satan is the boss. It, it, he's exercising the most influence of what's going on down here on this planet. Uh, Paul in Ephesians 2 says that he's the uh, principal authority of the power of the air. Now that the reference to the air in first century cosmology, uh, the air was the lowest rung of the heavenly realms, the spiritual realms. It was the realm of authority directly over the earth. And so what Paul is saying in this passage is that the one who's got the authority that directly comes to bear on this planet is Satan. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, he calls him the God of this age. He uses that term God to describe the kind of power that Satan has. In 1 John 5, 19, he goes so far as to say that Satan controls the entire world. Now, John is given to hyperbole, and, 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 but it's hyperbolic to stress the importance of this. He's saying Satan is involved in everything, and everything in the New Testament uh, confirms that. In the book of Revelation, Satan is the one who deceives all the nations, all the nations. 
They're under the deception. And I take Revelation to be more a description about the current warfare that's going on in this world more than it is a snapshot of what happens in the last seven years of world history or, or whatever. In, in, in the book of Revelation, all the kingdoms of this world, all the power over structures, are described uh, by, with the symbol of Babylon as though they're one kingdom. And Babylon is basically the political wing of Satan's empire. Um, and they're, 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 they're described as, as one kingdom. So in Revelation 11, uh, verse 15, uh, this angel cries out that uh, the kingdoms of this, or the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah. And he, unlike all the kingdoms of this world, he will reign forever and ever. The kingdoms of this world are becoming the kingdoms of our Lord. But at the present time, they're still in bondage to the powers. So they're still being deceived. They're still being led astray. They're still receiving this corrupting influence. All the nations of this world, and that would include America. So on top of being just a foreigner by virtue of being an ambassador, and on top of understanding that all these power over structures are premised on mistrust, now we learn that they're also under the strong force of the principalities and powers. So again, the question is, how much confidence should we have in them, given that what we know about them? How much of our hope should we pin on them, given what we know about them? seems to me that if, if we're having a biblical perspective of things, we wouldn't be quite as surprised when the kingdoms of this world and the kings of the kingdoms of this world do bad things. If Satan's the CEO of all of them, that's kind of what you would expect, I would think. If anything, I think we should be surprised when they actually do something good. <laughs> Praise God, it, it, something actually got done. Whew. Uh, what a relief. It's also why I think uh, the Bible tells us to pray for our leaders, those who are in authority over us, because they let's all assume, are good, decent, wonderful people. Uh, but there is a corrupting influence that they have to push up against that's stronger than the average Joe out there because there's more at stake. This is what keeps the structure of the power overgoing. Pray for them. They're, whatever their motives are, they're under an influence. See, so into this world of competing kingdoms, in this world of competing hierarchies, of the power brokers always trying to get the upper hand on one another, which is simply another way of describing marriage in Genesis 3, right? You're going to be trying to get power over him. He's going to be trying to get power over you. Well, that's a little microcosm of the whole world. In the midst of this world, Jesus brings a new king and a new kingdom, offers an, an alternative allegiance, offers people a new way of life, living under the love of this king of kings and lord of lords. And this kingdom is to be an alternative to all the kingdoms of this world. In a, kind of like what God wanted for Israel, but this is going to be now a much more intense version of that. Um, it, it's good to know that the kingdom of God actually is subversive to all power over structures. To live out a Christ-like way is to live in a way where you're trusting power under, not power over. You're trusting the power of self-sacrificial love to change people. Like Delon testified a little bit earlier. I might be saying more about that next week. Uh, it's to live with that kind of confidence. And so... All the hierarchies within those who are following Jesus are to be in the process of being dismantled, if not already dismantled. The kingdom is subversive. So, you know, when, when, they, when the gospel authors, they, they, they call Jesus Lord, they call him Savior of the world, they call him the King of all kings. Uh, they, they, they say he's the bringer of good news. And what you, he's the Son of God. All those terms you need to know were applied to Caesar in that culture and only to Caesar. So when the Christians took these titles and applied them to Jesus, what they were saying is, Jesus is Lord, that means Caesar is not. Jesus is a king, that means Caesar is not. And Jesus is the bringer of good news, that means Caesar is not. That's subversive. That's subversive. 
It dismantles, if you live it out consistently, the power structure. Jesus makes this explicit uh, in his teaching to his disciples uh, in, in, in Matthew 20. You find this all over the place. Here's where it's, I think, the most explicit. Jesus called them, and by the way, uh, they get into this discussion right after having a squabble about who gets to sit next to Jesus in the kingdom. Humans are humans. But Jesus called them and said to them, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and they're great ones, the ones who are successful. Well, they're absolute tyrants, the beneficiaries. In this game, the more power you get and the higher up you get, then you win. That's how the world plays this game. But he says, it will not be so among you. Rather, whoever wishes to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man came not to be served, but rather to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. To live out the kingdom is to completely subvert the world's power over system. And greatness is found on the bottom, not on the top. Uh, you come in low, you don't come in high. So let me sum up the contrast between the kingdom of God and the kingdoms of this world. The kingdoms of this world are premised on mistrust of God, whereas the kingdom of God is premised on a total trust in God. That's what it is to walk with God. You trust him and pledge to walk trustworthy before him. That's what the covenant is all about. In the kingdom of the world, Caesar is the paradigm. Whoever gets as much of Caesar's power is the winner. At least get a morsel of power that falls from the master's table. But Caesar embodies what everybody wants. But in the kingdom of God, Jesus embodies what we want. Uh, he embodies the love of God. He embodies self-sacrificial love uh, on behalf even of your enemies. It's the opposite of trying to be a Caesar. We're trying to be a little Jesus. In the, in the world, they trust in power over people, the power of laws and the power to enforce those laws, the power of boundaries, the power of, of, uh, power of, of, of tests before people come in, all the security stuff. We get security by grabbing on the things in this world and having power over others. Whereas in the kingdom, we trust in the, the power of power under. It's the power of love, the power of humility. It takes far more courageous, to, to far more courage to do that than it does to get big and mighty and flex your biceps. In the kingdom of the world, they exact vengeance because that is the power over. If you're going to have laws, you have to have consequences for those laws so they take vengeance. But in the kingdom of God, we're not allowed to take vengeance. Uh, Jesus forbids it. Paul forbids it. Don't, don't return evil with evil, return evil with good. And bless your enemies and feed them if they're hungry and give them something to drink if they're thirsty. That's how you respond to enemies in the kingdom of God. You leave all vengeance to God, Paul says. He'll take care of the judging. He's the only one who can. He's the one who really knows good and evil. Our job is to not grab onto that and feed off of it, but rather to live in love as Christ loved us and gave his life for us. And finally, in the kingdom of this world, they aim for effectiveness. What gets the job done? That's all that matters. Character doesn't, as long as the job gets done. Whereas in the kingdom of God, character's all that matters. I mean, we don't go out of our way to be inefficient, but our, the goal is faithfulness, to be faithful. And sometimes being faithful is not going to make you efficient. Sometimes being faithful might get you killed. But that's our job. Our job is to be living out this unique kingdom, to keep our eye on that ball. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek for, make this your life aspiration, the aspiration that gets you out of bed every morning. Seek first to put all your trust in God. Seek first to love like Jesus and live like Jesus. Seek first to be putting your trust in power under, not power over. Seek first to leave all vengeance to God and live life with a clean slate, not keeping a record of things. And seek first to live faithful, because to do all these things is to be faithful to the call. 
But to do all that, see folks, what that means, that is what it means to keep the kingdom holy. That word holy, people get an idea of a puritanical kind of, you know, ew, don't smoke, don't do this, don't dance, and whatever. No, the holy, it means set apart, distinct, unique. And now that we know what God's really like in the person of Jesus Christ, it's to be unique in a loving way. So if you're putting your full trust in God and not in the powers of this world, you're going to stand out at times, especially in highly polarized times. If you're aspiring to be like Jesus instead of like Caesar, well, that's different. It's going to stand out. You're keeping the kingdom holy. Set apart. If you're trusting power under rather than power over, you're keeping the kingdom holy. It's distinct. It's unique. If you're being faithful to the call of the kingdom, a faithful ambassador, well then, you're, and you're not putting all your trust in just what works, that's going to stand out at times. That is what it means to keep the kingdom holy. Seek it first. Preserve that at all costs, which means you can't let yourself get sucked in to anything else. Keep your eye on that ball. So we're, we're ambassadors here in America, and right now we're in this deeply, deeply polarized environment. We're being played by the powers. I'll talk about that next week. But our kingdom call is to remember that we're ambassadors, to remember that our job is to represent the character of our king and the character of the kingdom that we're a part of in all that we do. Our culture is right now fighting over everything. Uh, you name it, there's sides on it. And it's come to, it's gotten really ugly and it could get even uglier. I, I, I've, no, I've heard now of three families where people aren't talking to each other. They were in the midst of a get together, a celebration of some sort, and then someone brought up politics and the end result is that now people hate each other. This thing goes deep and it's dividing us like crazy fighting over whether to wear a mask or not and how to respond to COVID and, and what, what should our policy be on this or that and all these conspiracy theories on top of it all. You know, QAnon and Deep State and all the rest. And people are hot, man. They're, they're just losing it because these storms are converging on one another, creating this perfect storms. So as ambassadors here in this country to the United States and other folks, you apply it to your country as it applies. But here... We're invited to participate in the power over process. We're invited to have opinions about that. Now that's what makes us different from being an ambassador over in France, okay? Uh, here, we're given this invitation. Kind of like uh, what uh, uh, in, the, in the first century, Paul was made an honorary citizen, uh, citizen of Rome. And Paul stood up for his rights when they, when they were being taken from him. Um, and, and so if Paul could talk to the government authorities uh, and give his opinion uh, about his own self-interest, I think it's certainly good to do that on behalf of others' interests, which is, I think, the idea we should have as we vote, what will, what's in the interest of, of most people. Now, how you come at your conclusion will differ, but that should be our motivation as kingdom people. We get invited. And I think if we're invited, and there's precedent for it in the Bible, we can give our opinion on things. In fact, I've come to believe that Unless God tells you otherwise, you should give your opinion on things. Uh, that's kind of part of what it means. To, it could be part of what it means to be an ambassador here in a country where they've invited you to do that. But the danger is this. That means you're going to have opinions. You'll be thinking about things. And you might, if you're not careful, be getting siloed on things. And you could easily get into the hostility of those who don't see it your way because you know your ways are right. They're ingenious. If only we went by your ideas, we'd solve the problems in this country. Here's all, what you ought to do. And as long as you agree with me, I think you're right and brilliant. See, as ambassadors, we can never forget that we're ambassadors. Um, we can debate issues because we care about these things. We, and it's not like these are inconsequential. If I'm right, there's a whole lot at stake. And that's exactly what you think. And so it's, it feels important. This isn't trivial stuff. 
And we can debate these things, but as we debate them, we've got to keep the kingdom holy. We can't do it the way the world does it. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16, 14, do everything in love, everything in love. And that includes debating hot topics upon which the world depends. Uh, do it in love. And as I often say here, if you find yourself uh, more concerned about being right than you are representing the kingdom uh, and, and loving, then do the kingdom a favor and shut up. Because you can win the debate. But you'll lose the debate if you haven't done your job as a kingdom ambassador. And as kingdom ambassadors, never forget where your real hope lies. See, when you have opinions on stuff, you get invested in them. And it's easy. And, and sometimes God calls people to abstain from the whole process for a while. If you're getting too addicted to it because you start to care too much, my ideas will save the world. I, for several uh, elections, didn't vote at all because I, I had to abstain. And I, that's why I'm being so careful now that I'm kind of Give me my opinion. I, I did vote. And I encourage you to vote early if you're going to vote. Uh, but never forget. You do it in love and never forget where your real hope lies. You're, and this is part of what we represent. Do you really think that the world depends on your ideas on everything? I mean, no, look at even Yes, your ideas are the right ones. Your candidate is the best one. Your, your policies are off the charts brilliant, but they're not going to save the world, and you know that. That's not where your hope lies, not where your ultimate hope lies. It will make a difference now when we're supposed to do good to the city, so we want to make a difference, but that's not where your ultimate hope lies. Our hope is governments come and go, nations come and go, candidates come and go, rise and fall, good, bad. It's just, it's just a wash, but Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he's the only one that we can say that about. So if you're wise, you'll put all your treasures in that basket, all your hope in that basket, all your heart in that basket. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. This is the hope of the world. And we further that hope by being faithful in how we live that hope, hope out. And then I, I'll end with this. Let that hope minister peace to you. Uh, meditate on that hope and let it minister, let it marinate peace in you. And how important that's going to be as we're heading into a potential perfect storm. As the world is freaking out, going crazy, having meltdowns, fights breaking out, who knows what's going to happen. It's bad enough as it already is, but as that goes on, can there be a people who are anchored in the peace that passes all understanding? Uh, God's not given to us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. Uh, it's part of our inheritance in the kingdom. Paul tells us this. The Holy Spirit is inside of us and ministers to us a peace that passes understanding if we are centered on him and not being pulled by the powers into the chaos of our culture. I'll close with this. Isaiah says in Isaiah 26, in, in a situation where Syria is, 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 is threatening them, it's a barbaric nation, and People are freaking out. Isaiah says in 26.3 that God will give perfect peace to those whose eyes are stayed on him. That's the King James Version, but I like that version the best. Fix your eyes on your hope in Jesus Christ. Have your opinions. Do what you can. Yeah, absolutely, but be faithful and have all your hope in Jesus Christ. I now want to ask uh, uh, Shauna and Paul to join me up here. Um, we're going to discuss, uh, we've got uh, four or five or six questions that have come into us uh, that we think would be helpful to address in a public way. And so come on up, Paul. And I turn it over to Shauna Bourne. <laughs> Thanks, Greg. Uh, normally, we have Q&As where you guys send questions in. And I know this is the first sermon in this series that we've started today, A House Divided. But uh, I feel like if you've been listening to us, you Thanks, recognize brother. that 
Greg's been priming the pump and we've kind of laid some foundational things that we knew we were going to be talking about in this series. And so you guys have already been sending in questions. And so you, you knew where we were going and you've already sent in questions. And there have been several that um, are kind of asking the same thing. And so we thought for this first time, this first sermon, we'd hit those first. And sound good? Thank you for being with us, Paul. Absolutely. Good thank to be you for with that you. message, Greg. Good stuff. Okay. Thank you. Nice job. All right. So, Paul, let's just uh, give Oof. Greg a little breather. We've yeah. Heard, we've heard a lot from him. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, so let's start with, with you and, and this, this idea, or, or not even idea, the reality that we are ambassadors mm-hmm. um, here and for us here in America. And we're in this world, but we're not meant to be of this world. And so there are those that would ask, shouldn't we just opt out altogether of this whole political mess storm? But then today, Greg says, no, maybe a way to be an ambassador is to right, get involved. Right. And so can you help us sort that out? Sure, sure. Yeah, I love the fact that, Greg, you opened and closed with this idea of us as ambassadors. Um, And that isn't just a a cute little Christian cliche, right? Right. Paul's serious when he says in in 2 Corinthians 5, we are called to be ambassadors. But what Greg was using the analogy of, say, um, an American who's an ambassador to France, the difference is if you're uh, an, an ambassador in America to France, you, you don't become a French citizen, right? You, right. you can't vote in, in French elections or participate. That's the difference, is whatever nation we find ourselves in, that nation does give us citizenship. Well, and not whatever nation we find ourselves in, this nation. Well, I'm saying Christians all over the globe find oh, yeah, themselves right. in a particular nation, and whatever nation they're in, they have citizenry in that nation. For us, it's America, obviously. Um, And like Paul, I I love the point that you made at the end. Paul was granted Roman citizenship. And so Paul, although he was an ambassador of the Mm -hmm. kingdom, still asked the question, how can I use my kingdom citizenship uh, uh, in the context of my Roman citizenship to advance the kingdom of God? Right. Right. And there were times he exercised, uh, you know, kind of pushed his his rights because of what that could do to bring uh, a, a... his representation of the kingdom into play in that, in that mm-hmm. regard. So I think this is, this is crucial. We have citizenship in America here, if you're an American. How can we best use our citizenry and the privileges really that come with that in order to foster kingdom values and principles, but to do it in a kingdom way, right? right? And I think, Greg, I think you, well, you kind of said today, you've had sort of a shift in yeah. perspective on this over the last number of years, really. Uh, yeah, a little bit. Um, I mean, one, one of the things is that uh, I, I decided to vote. Well, I, the major thing that happened, I think, was uh, I became aware of my whiteness as it pertains to voting. Mm-hmm. And I used to kind of poo-hoo it, you know, it, like, if you want to vote, go ahead, but, you know, da, da. Uh, not realizing that that was a myopic perspective. And as mm-hmm. I've learned to zoom out and uh, find out the meaning of voting to other folks, I mean, uh, you learn about black history and that voting thing it's a symbol for everything else, you know, and, and so it becomes very, very important. And so as a person who wants to be, uh, you know, preaching the gospel across cultures, not simply by a white guy to a white guy, I need to take those perspectives in. And that, that, that's kind of certainly nuanced the way I talk about this. Um, and I've also, I think, grown just in terms of uh, preaching the ambiguity. Um, I, it, it's, it's the... Uh, 
You know, to be a kingly person, we're always going to be dancing, negotiating the powers that are pulling us in different directions. And yet, we're called to be in there and, and to uh, be representing the king as we're doing all that. And that's just, there's not, there's not like one size fits all. You've got to, I guess I've loosened up a little bit and, and realized that the context you're in makes some, in some contexts, say Nazi Germany or whatever, uh, well, your relationship to the powers is going to be different than it is in, in other contexts. And so right. I, I think I've become more incarnational and in appreciating the particularity of the moment we're in mm-hmm. and the need to pay attention to that and, and not have rules that are going to apply to everybody all the time, but rather right now, how is the Spirit leading us to be faithful mm-hmm. in the midst of the storm? So, yeah, I've nuanced a little bit. I love that um, you've been very vulnerable and real and honest about that whole process because so many people would be like, I've got it figured out and I'm not changing. Yeah. And so I think it's so important for people to realize that uh, we, don't, like, we don't have it all figured out all the time and we are all... We're all works in process, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Even if you wrote a book on it, you might still have some new ideas. <laughs> yeah, I should do it. It's a second edition, Myth of a Christian Nation. No. <laughs> Hey, but I, I stand by everything I wrote in that book. Mm-hmm. I, I just mm-hmm. think I would nuance it differently now. And Absolutely. Sure. Like Absolutely. Thank you. And so speaking of uh, considering the times that we are in, I, I know from many of the questions that we've seen um, come in through our website and on the Musecast and just in different w- email to different ones of us, uh, there is a growing sense that this isn't your typical I don't agree with that side, that yeah. side doesn't agree with this side. Yeah. It, it, it's not just... Um, Republican versus Democrat, it feels like this has so much more weight to it. And so mm-hmm. there are some real honest people asking honest questions like, what do you do if you really perceive the other side, whatever that may be, as being evil or perpetrating mm-hmm. evil? What, what do you do? Because yeah. we're talking about how to be kingdom people, um, how to do the most good that we can. And we want to try to understand. And that's why you have more conservative people that you're dialoguing with, mm-hmm. which is great. But what do you do when it just feels like what you would maybe try to Im- dialogue with or understand really does seem to be evil? Right. Hmm. And I can yeah. take a stab at it. I don't want no, to. Go ahead. I don't want to. <laughs> I want you to. Because I don't want to. Shut up. No, Shut up. no I, I say I don't want to it's hard, because I wrestle with this. Yeah. Almost daily. And, and given the, the circumstance or, or time of day, um, I do better with it than other times. And, but what I, I can just say what's helped me. Um, I, it's really helped me to not group a whole people together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't want to be just like, I don't want to be grouped. Uh, but what has really helped me is instead of seeing like the other side, whatever that is, is um, remembering these are individual humans that yes, are loved by God. And if what I feel like is being said or being perpetrated or being, you know, um, what, if, if I feel like it is anti-God, if I feel like it is harmful, I absolutely pray for the heart of those people. I do. And that's not always easy, unfortunately. I'm just being honest. It's not always easy, but I do pray for the heart of those people. But the other thing I've realized is that you have to discern what is reasonable to agree and disagree on. There are certain things that aren't reasonable to dialogue about because they're super harmful to others. And, it, and I have found that it's okay to say that speech, um, that way of talking, that way of believing, that way of acting towards others is not godly, it's not helpful, it's not kingdom. And so I pray against that. Like I, the person saying it, Lord, please do a work in their heart. But what is being said that I feel like is quote unquote evil, 
um, it's okay to call that out. It's okay to say, no, that is not appropriate, good, mm. healthy, safe. Um, and I also think you can, you have to be careful of knowing um, how you're engaging those conversations yes. or how you're engaging the other, which I hate right. saying the other, but when you're, you, you do have to be mindful, you have to be careful, you have to be prayerful, you have to use discernment because right, not right. every conversation is a safe or healthy one to have. Right, right. Um, so those are just some of the well, things. Thanks that for sharing that, Sean. For I, I think that's, that's absolutely dead on. You're absolutely right about that. Uh, man, it's, and there's a number of things that I want to comment about that, but we have to watch the time, so I'll try to be succinct. But, uh, you know, the, the major distinction you make is between evil and, and, and the people that you mm -hmm. think are being overcome right. by evil. Um, and it's, it's, this is where Ephesians 6.12 becomes so important for kingdom people that our struggles never against flesh mm -hmm. and blood, but against yeah. principalities and powers. Yep. And, and you can believe that, that someone's being used by evil. But we're never allowed to think of them as evil. Yeah. In fact, I, I think we're supposed to see them as in bondage. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it, let's say you're right that if this person is driven by greed or by sheer power, wants power, it has wrong motives, doesn't really care about anybody else, da da da. You can believe that, but that's just a form of their bondage. Mm -hmm. you know, imagine how miserable it is to be trapped in that. Yeah. You know, and, and, and so uh, it, it helps me to always be remembering everyone's got a prequel mm -hmm. and a story that leads to where they are. And um, while I can say I, there's evil being used here, uh, it, it's, it's never particularize it. Mm -hmm. uh, that, that's what we're, because now you made the flesh and blood your enemy right. and mm -hmm. it's supposed to be somewhere we're fighting for. Um, the, the other thing is, oh, what was I going to say? Um, uh, the principalities and powers. Oh, that your point about not seeing everybody as belonging to just this one group, that mm -hmm. is so important because when you get fearful, our, you know, our amygdala, doesn't think, it just reacts. Mm -hmm. And so it sends out a chemical cocktail that actually shuts down your reasoning process. And so to the degree that a person's threatened, um, they have a, they're in a fight or flight mode and all you see is threat. Yeah. Mm. And so I'd be understandable if when you heard, you know, stand by, um, that, that gets fear. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it'd be easy to then say all the Republicans all think mm -hmm. that. Right. When in fact, no. the ones I talk to don't think that. And, and, and so to try to, that's where you remember that God's not giving us the spirit of fear, but of power, love, yeah. and self-control. And, and, and to, to treat people as people, individuals as individuals. And the final thing I wanted to say was that um, it, it makes a difference when you say that there's, there's, there's topics that aren't worthy talking about. I think that's true, publicly speaking. Like, I, I, I don't want to give any credibility to uh, a flat earth society or, you know, right. to, to you know, whack job, conspiracy theories or whatever. Right. But... We're dealing with a country where it seems like there's roughly 40%, 30 to 40% that are hostile uh, mm -hmm. towards the other 30, 40% and people are locked in that. Mm -hmm. and, um, and the only way this can possibly be de-siloed or be reversed is by talking, mm -hmm. is, is by, now there's a time and place for that, but I, as we go forward, I think talking about the differences, even though you think they're being used by evil, in fact, from a kingdom perspective, well, I wouldn't talk about everything publicly and give it legitim legitimacy. I'm called to love the Flat Earth Society guy and f the conspiracy theory, whatever. And so our command is always the same, to live in that kind of love, and that's how we push back on the powers. Mm -hmm. uh, and we see people as people not belonging to this particular category. Yeah. Now, that is way easier said than done. Yeah. And uh, one of the things, I, I, I think I've gotten better at that 
over the last four years by having to practice it so much. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, there's, God brings good out of everything. Yeah, and I, I do agree with you. I think, um, just, I think what I was more thinking about personally is, I don't know that I, who I am, um, I don't know that I could have an effective conversation with, say, someone who is a part of the Proud Boys. I don't think that that would be yeah. a good, healthy, <laughs> wise, or even safe conversation for me. So I do think that's right. Discernment has to be used. But yeah, if we, if we just stay with, with like-minded people and just have conversations with like-minded people, then we're not going to make progress. I absolutely agree. But you're right. It's not... Easy. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's not easy. It's you're saying kind of know where you're at personally, though. Yeah. When, and, and, when's the wise and loving? And that's mm-hmm. legit. You know, I, I think God would have to call you to that, Whew. you know, yeah. and, and, and do whatever changes. But it's no different than uh, I can't ever imagine me being part of that ministry. Uh, what is it? The triple X ministry that ministers to porn stars and prostitutes and yeah. they go into those. I, I, that wouldn't be me. Uh, it's uh, I, I got enough temptations in my life. I don't need to be a whole minister like that. I just, so yeah, you have to know yourself, know your limitations, know yeah. your boundaries. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, Paul, uh, we've had several questions uh, referring to that Romans 13, those first few, oh, like yeah. first four verses, you know, about oh, yeah. um, <laughs> being subject to governing authorities and all. And so because they're you, all instituted by God. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. That's the key. They're all instituted by God. Can you unpack that a little bit for us? How does that um, coincide with what we're saying now, what we're going to be saying in the next few weeks. Yeah. Yeah. I think if anyone was going to push back on what Greg said today, that'd kind of be the go-to verse. Absolutely. Wait a minute, Greg. Um, You're talking about these, that the kingdoms are separate. We should keep them distinct. But doesn't Paul say in Romans uh, 13.1 that uh, we should be subjected to the governmental authorities? In fact, that God establishes Mm -hmm. governmental authorities. And so it's, it's an important verse for us to wrestle with. And how can Satan be the CEO? The CEO of if, if, if God's God the establishing, right, yeah. right. And so a couple of things I think that are important to realize about, about that passage. Um, let's start here. Uh, the, the, ver, the, the Greek word behind that word that we translate establish, the root of that, tasso, uh, literally means to, to file in order or to, to place in a particular arrangement. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you could say it's to a point. Uh, but there's no connotation, not in, not in the word itself, that means that God controls and ordained what those governments do, right? right? So in other words, uh, what, I think what the text is saying is, as God finds a certain government, good or bad, or somewhere in between, um, God st- has to do something with that. Like, God's still the sovereign king. And so God will use governments in particular ways, but he doesn't make them what they are. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he sort of, he, he finds Hitler as Hitler. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got to remember that, that we're, we're, we're very steeped in this idea, Greg, thanks to you here, that love, agape love, requires freedom. Mm-hmm. And God is to work within our freedom, including right. within the freedom of government officials and, right, and, right. and the governments they build around themselves. So it's not saying that God uh, controls and ordains governments to be what they are, right. but rather what they are, he works with and uses, right? And then he does say to us to subje- that we're to be subjected to that. Now listen, what Paul's saying there, the Paul who's saying this is the same Paul who says we are ambassadors mm-hmm. and that, uh, and modeled the fact that when when the Roman government came up against kingdom values, Paul always chose the kingdom and not Rome. Right. So it's always a subjection within a higher allegiance to the kingdom and a calling to be ambassadors for that kingdom. Within that, yes, 
follow the laws of the, the, the nation you're within. It'd be weird if you're uh, an ambassador to a country, but you refuse to follow their laws. You won't be able to be effective representing your kingdom. Yeah, so I think it's a very balanced and important, uh, a nuance there we got to pay attention to. Yeah, and so it doesn't mean that uh, when Paul says that God has established the governments, he's not, it, that doesn't at all deny that Satan has a strong influence mm-hmm. on them because mm-hmm. God files them. Uh, the way a librarian files books, right? So mm-hmm. a librarian can hate a book, but given that it's this kind of book, well, it belongs over there. So God is influencing to make use of these yeah. sword-wielding uh, authorities. Uh, and, and as I read it, it's insofar as they do that, insofar as God has influenced them, so they carry out, they use the sword for justice mm. and to punish wrongdoers. Well, then they're operating in accordance with God's accommodation of their yeah. violence. Yeah. The, he makes use out of that. He's not afraid of getting his hands dirty. Um, when it's clear, isn't it clear that uh, when he's saying that the, the governments will use the sword for vengeance, several verses earlier, he's just said, oh, but Christians never yep. exact vengeance. So clearly, Paul himself in that passage sees two distinct kingdoms. And, and he says, leave all vengeance to God. Yep. And then six verses later, he tells us how God, one of the ways God exacts vengeance. He works through the governments that are, he finds already using the sword right. and puts it to a good purpose. So insofar as they're doing that, I think they're consistent with the kingdom. And so we submit to them. Yeah. yeah. Amen. And so let's just bottom line it for people. <laughs> tell them what to do. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I think sometimes we want to just tell me what to do. But um, could you guys just like in a sentence, just... How would you encourage people to be ambassadors, how to, how to function within this government that we are a part of right now without betraying their kingdom values? Greg? Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I, 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 I just will come back to this. I think right now the most important thing is to not let yourself get sucked into the hostility. Uh, you can have opinions, and you can have strong opinions, and believe the right. But in any, in any argument, any kind of dialogue you're having, remember that your first job is not to be right. Uh, your first job is to be faithful, to represent the kingdom and the character of the kingdom. And that means you have to guard your heart. Uh, and if ever you find yourself getting hostile, worked up, and I encourage you to step out of it and calm down and get centered again on what you're supposed to be doing. Uh, that's what the world, that's being salt, right? Mm-hmm. That's being light. Um, we don't need more darkness. We need light. Yeah. And so I encourage folks to guard your heart. And even when you think that, that a person is, has succumbed to evil, they're being used by evil, um, don't, don't, never respond to evil with evil. And that just increases the evil. That's what's going on all over here. The powers are, are playing us. Uh, rather respond to evil with good. Even if they attack you, stay humble, stay calm, yeah. stay centered. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that. Yeah. Uh, conspiracy theories are nothing new, um, and that's not what we're going to be talking about um, with this next question, and this is how we're going to close out our time together. But there are so many that are genuinely fearful, mm. not because of, like I said, conspiracy theories that could possibly happen, but some very real realities of the fact that it looks like we could easily find ourselves any day in an outright civil war. Mm. And so much so that there are even people and authority who, who are b- believers that are calling for that. And so we have people who are rightfully so scared, <laughs> scared on both sides, scared on all sides, oh, sure. scared in the middle, on the top, the bottom, all around. And so, Greg, what, what can you offer to help assuage some of those fears for people? Um, yeah, I, I wish I could say well, that's not likely going to happen. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I don't think that that perfect storm is the most likely outcome, but it's possible and we need to prepare for it. In some ways, this whole series is, you know, what I'd say is 
stay tuned. I, uh, this whole series is meant to prepare us for that mm-hmm. uh, so that we can be a distinct witness if that should happen. Mm-hmm. But we should be a distinct witness regardless of what happens. Mm-hmm. And regardless of what goes down on election day, this problem is not going away. Right. Right. It's not going to re- watch the social dilemma. <laughs> uh, that, that will give you a peek of one of the reasons why it's not going away. So this is really preparing us for a new reality that we're in, mm-hmm. this hostile reality. Um, and and I, I guess the, the, you know, I just shared, I think the most important thing is to stay centered, know who you are, remember who you yeah. are and what you're called to do and, and, and not let yourself be caught up into the, don't give in to the powers mm-hmm. that are playing uh, uh, people against one another. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just keeping that mindset. Yeah. I, I, you know, I would encourage you also to keep that mindset. Uh, that's strictly connected to where your heart is, which is connected to where your hope is. Yeah. And, and so to the degree that you are are pinning any of your ultimate hope on being right or on this side winning and that side winning, um, I, I, is, is the degree to which you're vulnerable to getting caught up in this, mm-hmm. where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Mm-hmm. And, and so I would divest, I encourage folks, if, if you are hooked, if you are, it doesn't mean you don't care about the issues, but it does mean that your ultimate hope isn't put there. Yeah. And that can give you a center that can hold true even in the midst of your f- a family meltdown. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't have that center, if you're not anchored in that hope, I don't think you're going to be able to, you know, remember the rules about play talk or something like that. No, <laughs> it's, it, it's much deeper than that. It's about who are you representing as mm-hmm. you're talking. I really think, yeah, from God's perspective, uh, how we discuss things mm-hmm. is more important than what position we discuss, what mm-hmm. position we defend. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah, so that's the bu- our bullseye should be different from the world. The world is yeah. aiming to win. Yeah, well, the way we win is by being faithful. Mm-hmm. And in the end, that's, that's the hope in Jesus Christ, the one kingdom that will never fade never away. Never fade away. Amen. Paul, really quickly, I just want you to, to tag on to this. So if someone is watching the news or, wh- or whatever, and they see, you know, people armed with guns on one side and people armed with guns on the other side, it just, it can get really scary. And yeah. so how do we stay centered in that hope and, and not succumb to the fear? Honestly, I, you know, you think back to the early church who had, was in pretty dire situation for most of the 300 years of, uh, before Constantine. And clearly one way that they were able to do this is they took the long view, right? Yep. They, they realized that whatever's happening right in this moment that can seem so intense and so all-encompassing, that the truth is that we live in an eternal narrative. That's right. And we that, should that, live. that this year, which seems so crucial, 50 years from now, we'll be, we'll be past history and we'll be dealing with another crisis if, if we're still on planet Earth here, if God hasn't returned. But, but we as kingdom people, we see the future and the calling and the promise that in the end, love does win. That in the end, as we are faithful, that faithfulness is, is building into a kingdom that ultimate mm. will, will resolve yes. all things and that evil will eventually be done away with. Mm. That's the hope and the promise that the early church lived through that allowed them to walk into Colosseums and be eaten by wild animals and still as they're doing it, uh, praising God that he is Lord, that nothing else uh, can overcome that. Absolutely true. I, that's... And, and having faith in that means having a vision of that. And yeah. I encourage folks to spend time envisioning the yes. beauty of that kingdom. And because the more concretely you see it, the more concretely you feel it. And that's what motivates you to go forward. Hebrews 11.1. One. Uh, it, it's faith is the substance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Yes. Mm-hmm. There's also some real practical things that you might mention. Like, one, start paying attention to you and, and your kids if you have kids. 
how, how much you're on social media. Yeah. I'll be talking about this next week, but uh, our brains are being controlled to a certain degree, and, and as kingdom ambassadors, we don't want that to happen. Amen. And then know your limits just in terms of how much of this you've, you let in. Mm-hmm. Right. Sometimes you've got to just block it off. You need to take a Sabbath from the news or you know, it, don't have it on 24-7. Right. Um, yep. And spend some time where you just carve out, as, as I think you said earlier, gratitude yeah. to... Yeah. to Remember some happiness and give yeah. thanks for some things because otherwise, if your mind's always on negative, guess how you're going to feel all the time? Negative. Right. So yeah. you've got whatever, uh, Philippians 4, 8. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are good, whatsoever things are beautiful, whatsoever things. things are noble or wise, think on those things. Yep. Yeah. So make sure you think, you know, to pay attention to what, you're, what your brain, where your brain is ruminating on mm-hmm. uh, yep. throughout the day and don't let it just be the garbage of the world. Amen. Yeah, yeah. that'll help dispel that fear focus on Jesus, focus on the good, focus on the truth, cultivate gratitude. Yes. Not, we're not sticking our head in the sand. Like stuff is there and we know that. Absolutely. But let's focus on being the kingdom people that God has called us to be. Let's focus on seeking his life, his light, his truth, mm-hmm. and, and being that wherever we can. Because Amen. the more we are that, the more the darkness goes away. Amen. Thank you guys for your time today, Thanks. for your encouraging words and everything. We really appreciate it. Thank you Happy all for, turn- <laughs> for, tuning <laughs> for tuning in. And remember, if you have anything you would like prayer for, please uh, connect with one of our prayer partners in a Zoom room. You can just go to the website to do that. And if you want to hear more about this kind of a conversation, you can tune into the Musecast on Tuesday afternoon and or be a part of our gathering groups on Tuesday nights and Wednesday mornings. Thank you guys. And now people are wondering, why did Sean get the giggles all of a sudden? Inquiring minds want to know. You, because you said something goofy and funny. I didn't say, that's it. Kind of under your breath God bless you guys. Bit. Later. <laughs> Bye.